I think of baseball and I think of the tradition and the history and what opening day means to Cincinnatians. And I know there are a lot of, a lot of fans that won't be able to come to games right away. We hope that could change over time. And this year, it's going to happen, and it's going to be big for the Hall of Fame, big for the Reds, and just it's important for this city to get the Reds back on the field with fans in the stands. From WLWT, this is Let's Talk Cincy, presented by Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. Hello everyone, I'm Curtis Fuller and welcome to Let's Talk Cincy. We are just days away from the unofficial holiday here in the Queen City known as opening day for the Cincinnati Reds. Although the pandemic will keep some restrictions in place, fans will be allowed back in the stands when the Reds take the field. An organization with a rich history. Today, this one belongs to the Reds. The fans back in 1950s and then the sports writers and the Chamber of Commerce knew the importance of baseball in Cincinnati. They developed the Reds Hall of Fame in 1958 and the first class of five were inducted. It starts with that, the passion fans, the passion fans that are all over Cincinnati and then driving the franchise. In essence, we're all stewards of a franchise and we'll be gone at some point, but the fans will always be here. So it starts with that and then being the first professional team and having over 150 years to showcase and for people to understand the importance of history and how that shows us where we're going to in the future. I think that's a really important understanding uh, socially and culturally to understand baseball's place in the development of society, especially here in Cincinnati with that long history that we have. I will say that uh, our Hall of Fame is twice the size of any other Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. It was built in 2004, one year after Great American Ballpark opened. So I really appreciate the fact that ownership then saw that it was important to bring a cultural institution that celebrated the rich history of baseball and its importance to Cincinnati. But then when the Castellini family took over ownership, they have fully endorsed and backed what we do here. And the museum has changed considerably since it opened in size, in stature, in scope, in our number of programs and initiatives that impact people all over the area and abroad. We love Reds fans and baseball fans and the museum is here to stay. Last year was a challenge for us like it was everybody else. We opened the museum in June under all the safety guidelines and protocols and we started seeing fans come through the museum. But the most important thing for us was to stay connected to our constituents, the fan base, our members. So we went digital, we were communicating through social media and had many other opportunities that we could connect with our fans through all the Zoom calls and you name it. But it was a constant communication effort to keep engaged with our fans so that we could bridge that gap and when the fans were ready to come back they would and they will and this year it's going to happen and it's going to be big for the hall of fame big for the reds and just it's important for the city to get the reds back on the field with fans in the stands our attempt is to connect the fan with the part of their past that they feel like brought them tighter to this team and a lot of times it is those players and when I look back at history and the alumni that we associate with and try to bring back for reunions and statue programs and our induction ceremonies, to us, the alumni are the true connection. I mean, you have a, you're a fan of Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench comes back into town. You feel like that kid again. And you're right about players these days aren't spending as long of time with a particular team. You see them moving around. So we don't think of players as just a red anymore, like Barry Larkin, right? Like 
Johnny Bench. Like, even we think of Joe Morgan, but Joe played with several other teams, but he's still ours, right? And once a red, always a red. Sparky Anderson managed here forever, but guess what? He also managed with the Detroit Tigers for almost twice as long as here. But these guys are ours, and we embrace them. We want to stay close to them, keep them coming back, because we appreciate what they did to really make us all fans and make this franchise as successful as it is. Joe Morgan was my favorite player. For many, he was a favorite player. He had the inspirational story behind him. And when he passed, we were, sh we were thinking about how can we honor this guy again? I mean, we has a statue at the ballpark. He's been part of our Big Red Machine reunions. He's a leader of that group. Joe's remembered throughout the museum every day. There's so much Joe Morgan and Big Red Machine things throughout here. I promise you, you come into the Hall of Fame, you'll know who Joe Morgan is when you leave. You know, Curtis, I, I think of baseball and I think of the tradition and the history and what opening day means to Cincinnatians. And I know there are a lot of, a lot of fans that won't be able to come to games right away. We hope that could change over time. But I come into this year and I know from talking with our fans that they want to come back and they want to be part of this team. They don't want to lose that connection. You've got to come to the ballpark to experience it. It can't just be all done virtually on TV. They want to be here. It'll be safe for them to come down here. And we're excited for that. To me personally, uh, baseball means a lot. Uh, I coach it. Uh, I coach softball. Uh, I love watching it played. I believe that baseball, when taught properly and coached properly, is one of the greatest classrooms in this country. The, the character building attributes that you can gain from that with the right structure, winning, losing, uh, how to handle adversity, I think is extremely important to today's society. So baseball on all levels, whether it's professional, college, amateur, not whole on those dusty baseball fields all over America, it's a bonding influence. It brings us together on and off the field, and I think in many ways is a metaphor for our culture, baseball. Later in the show, we'll talk about a special exhibit at the Reds Hall of Fame. It's called Pursuit of a Dream. But first, up next, the man who ushered in a change in the Cincinnati Reds organization 67 years ago, Chuck Harmon, when Let's Talk Cincy continues. History was made on April 17, 1954, when Chuck Harmon became the first African-American to play for the Cincinnati Reds. This came a few years after Jackie Robinson broke the color line in Major League Baseball, but it remains a significant moment in Reds history. Mr. Harmon passed away just a couple of years ago at the age of 94. I spoke with one of his closest friends, Tony Williams. My spirit is weakened by the lack of his presence. Uh, he was, he wasn't my father, but he, he was more than that. You know, I learned a lot from him. I learned what, what it means to be a, a good man, a good honorable man, a, a good father, a good husband, uh, a good human being, someone who was well respected in the, in the community, someone who w had great humility. Uh, you know, once you get that stardom, sometimes that leaves you. It didn't leave him. Uh, I, 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 I hope that he, even though the Reds have honored him in many, many ways, there's one more, one more that I want, want him to have. 
Everywhere I saw Mr. Harmon, Tony was nearby. That's the type of friendship they developed over the years, especially their love of Reds baseball. Mr. Harmon and I didn't go to many opening games together, but we used to go, courtesy of the Reds, we used to go to probably 60 games a year. And uh, I really got to know Mr. Harmon through his interaction with his fans. Uh, you know, Mr. Harmon and I met in 1976. More than 40 years, we had a really good, good uh, friendship. And because of our friendship, I got to do things that I never dreamed. You know, the fact that we are here, uh, here today, uh, you know, I am an honorary member of, of, this, of this venue. Many young people will only know Chuck Harmon from this statue outside the Youth Academy in Bond Hill. But Tony said, beyond baseball, Chuck Harmon was a family man and a kind soul. He was a very humble man, which uh, I think a, there are a lot of ball players that could learn from that. He was a great man. He was, uh, uh, he was, a, uh, he was a giant of a man. Uh, he didn't hit a whole lot of home runs, uh, but he hit a grand slam every time he came into your presence. I am, a, I am unhappy that he's not in the Reds Hall of Fame. And I'm not going to rest until he is in the Reds Hall of Fame. Now, I realize that his, his credentials are not impressive. But he, uh, look at what he did as a minor league ball player. I mean, he had 375 three years in a row. Uh, they brought him to the Reds for a reason. Uh, and he was successful at being the person they thought he would be. Now. Did he hit 300? Did he hit 30 home runs? No, but he was a very versatile player. He played first, he played third, he played all the outfield. He was, a, uh, he was good on the bases. Uh, far as I know, there was nothing that went on between he and the other white ball players. Uh, he, and, he and Clue were uh, very good friends. So that to me is, I mean, he, he said he, he never thought he would be there. Uh, but that's not something that I'm going to allow to rest. Up next, the Cincinnati connection to the great Jackie Robinson when Let's Talk Cincy continues. Jackie Robinson is one of the most recognizable names in the history of baseball. When he came up to bat in April 1947, change was felt on and off the baseball field. One of his friends was Ernie Waits Sr., Cincinnati's first black broadcaster. Today, let's talk to Mr. Waits' son about his father's friendship with the legendary ball player. As an infant, I was given the privilege of calling the great Jackie Robinson my godfather. And I think now being 70 years old on the other side of that journey, it has now become so much more meaningful to me. Also understanding all the things that this Hall of Famer went through 
in order to provide different outlets and opportunities for so many other people, uh, not just the Negro League that proceed, that proceed, or before him, but all those that came after him, including Joe Morgan and, and so many others that we could talk about. Um, when I was younger, I didn't call him Uncle Jackie or anything. I called him Mr. Robinson because at the time, as a young black youth, that was the type of respect that you paid to everyone. <laughs> um, and failure to do so had its, <laughs> had its um, problems. But, um, uh, and as I got older, and could actually understand and interpret all the things this great man had to go through in order to be what he was. So many people th thought that he just, and even today, he just arose out of the dust or something, but they don't realize how hard he had to work as a sportsman, but also um, as an integrator as someone who demanded in a civil way that he be recognized for his abilities, uh, not just as a black athlete, but also as an African-American man. The reason I was able to call Jackie Robinson or be known as the godson of Jackie Robinson was because of his incredible friendship with my dad. And my dad really respected this man so much and they were friends and yes there were places in Cincinnati where if you were black and you're traveling you got gas or places where you could stay or places where you felt accommodated and this was in uh, my recollection of the 50s and even on into the 60s where sometimes you weren't as welcome they weren't as welcome in, in uh, some of the major hotels and other places without a little bit of Not fear, because I don't believe Mr. Robinson had any fear. But I think what he wanted was companionship. He wanted uh, friendship. He wanted self-worth. He wanted to be in the community where he knew he was respected, where he didn't have to fight for that. That existed. And I, I think the friendship between my dad and Mr. Robinson was so beneficial for both of them as they continued their journey on to civil rights and equal rights for everyone. When I went to Crosley Fields, um, there was Eugene Dean and his wife who ran what I understand to be the first concession stand, functional, made, run by a black family. And I think part of that also, and I got as a kid to, um, make the Cokes and the popcorn and the, all, all the other stuff as well. Uh, but I think that's something else that happened because of the bravery of Mr. Harmon, the bravery of uh, Mr. Robinson, and also the courage of Mr. Ernie Wiggs. Uh, my father was a bit more demanding of uh, his respect right now. And it cost him. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was, um, like Mr. Robinson, he was spit on.
um, and to understand some of the resentments that we have culturally uh, with people today. And so even though these great men made it so much better, there's still so much work to do. But because of the stage that they set, we can see that there is a road out. We've, <laughs> we've got Kamala Harris in the White House. Uh, we have the first Native American on uh, uh, the Department of Interior. So there are changes that are happening. Unfortunately, positive change doesn't seem to happen without some form of conflict. Uh, the riots that we just, uh, and the protests that we've experienced because of racial disparity, unfortunately, we don't tend to make any gains until these particular types of things happen. I'm looking forward to the day when those gains are made at the table rather than violent conflict in the streets. It's always good to talk about my dear friend Ernie Waite Sr. You know, Jackie Robinson made what was likely his last public appearance right here in Cincinnati just a few days before his death in the fall of 1972. In 1997, I actually contacted the Reds and asked the team to recognize the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's entrance into baseball. And so on May 15, 1997, the Reds played the Dodgers. It was at that time the Reds unveiled the number 42 that still hangs alongside Cincinnati Reds' legendary numbers. Now back to the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum. There is one exhibit that is a reminder that baseball has always been more than just a game. The, uh, an exhibit that we have that's permanent in the museum is called Pursuit of a Dream, and it traces the history of Negro Leagues baseball, integration of, of the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball, and then also the power of diversity in the game, what, how important that is to the current team, and then what the Reds are doing in the community today to promote the opportunities to play baseball and softball at all age levels. Uh, 1935, 1936, 37, the Cincinnati Tigers were the Negro Leagues team in Cincinnati, played all their games at Crosley Field, wore the Reds uniforms from the previous year, exciting caliber of baseball, very well played, highly talented players took to the field and drew large crowds, even larger than many of the Cincinnati Reds games at the time. And I think it's, you know, the, we think of Chuck Harmon, right? You think of Jackie Robinson. and how they were the trailblazers and in many ways had to go through and endure a lot to pave the way for so many others to be able to play the game right now. Uh, Frank Robinson's another great example of that. You know, Chuck broke the, the color barrier in 1954, seven years after Jackie did. It took seven years. So it really wasn't quite widely accepted that once Jackie crossed over that all of a sudden, you know, the leagues were integrated. It took a long time for everyone to feel like they had a great opportunity to play. It's a special exhibit that just says anyone can pr pursue their dream. And it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter your background, that if you pull together as a team, as a unit, for one common goal, you can achieve. And sometimes even better. In the big red machine, that grade eight might be one of the most diverse teams and one of the most successful teams in baseball history. Coming up, we are going to round third and head for home as we check in on the Joe Nuxall Foundation. But first, remembering one of the greatest of all time, Hank Aaron, when Let's Talk Cincy continues.
Baseball lost one of its greatest players with the passing of Hank Aaron earlier this year. George Vogel has a look now at the great Henry Aaron. Hammer and Hank Aaron. In 1974, he was chasing one of baseball's most sacred records, 714 home runs set by Babe Ruth. He tied the Babe right here in Cincinnati. That ball is gone! A home run! Henry Aaron has just tied Babe Ruth's home run record of 714. That was the first inning of the first game called by Reds Hall of Fame announcer Marty Brenneman. When we went to the commercial break after the top of the first inning, uh, my partner of 31 years, God rest his soul, Joe Nuxall, said, what the hell do you do for an encore? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know. It was really special for me because it was my first game. Four days later in Atlanta, Aaron broke the Babe's record by smacking number 715. Henry Aaron is the all-time home run leader now. But with the record came a price. Aaron received racist hate mail as he chased Ruth's record. People resented that very much so. You know, the time was not ready. The country was not ready. So, you know, I, I had to accept that. Aaron broke in the baseball with the Milwaukee Braves in 1954 at the age of 20. He remained with the Braves after they moved to Atlanta. His final two years were spent with the Milwaukee Brewers. Then Aaron retired following the 1976 season. He, he was truly one of the all-time great players. But uh, from my, my perspective, he was also, and more importantly, he was an all-time great person. And finally today, remembering a person synonymous with the Cincinnati Reds, the old left-hander, the late Joe Nuxall. His legacy of kindness and giving still being felt through the Joe Nuxall Foundation. Joe had the ability to make people feel special, and that's really what these legacy projects are all about. Uh, the Joe Nuxall Miracle League Field, we help individuals from the age as young as four. We have players up into their late 70s playing the game of baseball, and it's about making them feel like all-stars through our scholarship fund, which was really Joe's baby. We're giving uh, students all across Butler County the opportunity to go to college and recognize their dreams, and through the Character Education Project, we're helping to give everybody the opportunity to just be a good person and feel good about themselves because that was what was at Joe's heart. Uh, he had an amazing way to do that that is hard to, to put into words. It's hard to figure out what that formula was. Uh, but at the Nuxall Foundation, we're just trying to keep that memory alive and get other people to be more like Joe every single day. Well, that does it for the program today. I'm Curtis Fuller. Have a nice day.